Welcome to the SCORE Innovation Podcast. As one of the world's largest reinsurers, SCORE provides insurance companies with diverse and innovative solutions focused on the art and science of risk. The SCORE Innovation Podcast channel sheds light on evolving consumer needs in life and health and property and casualty reinsurance and connects them to global ecosystems. You can subscribe to the channel on your favorite podcast platform to get notified of all our new exciting content. Welcome back to the SCORE Innovation Podcast. I am Zveva Collison, Head of Marketing for the Americas, and I'm delighted to host the next episode of the Offshore Wind Farm series. SCORE is firmly committed to support the shift towards a cleaner and more sustainable future and closely follows developments in this regard across many sectors. The first part of this series, entitled Towards Carbon Neutrality, Offshore Wind, the Basics for the Next Generation, is available on the channel to listen. It goes over the fundamentals and understanding of offshore wind energy and how it works. Lionel, JQ, welcome back to the podcast. It's a great pleasure to have you both again today. And Xingang, we're very happy to welcome you for this discussion. We are lucky today to have the three of you, experts of offshore renewable energy from three different growing markets, Asia, Europe, and the US. So today we'll hear your perspectives on the differences of logistics, processes, and legislation on your respective markets, but also you'll go over progress in each of your markets and how they compare with each other. Can you please all introduce yourselves again? Yes, of course. So uh, I'm Lionel Posey. I'm a senior construction underwriter based in Houston, and uh, I've been underwriting uh, offshore wind risk since uh, 2015. All right, Sylvain, thank you for the introduction. Yeah, my name is GQ. I'm based in our London office as an offshore wind underwriter. So my background is uh, offshore foundation engineer of Duyushinga. Uh, hi, this is Singang. Uh, I'm based in Singapore office and joined the school two years ago. I am now looking after offshore renewables in the APEC uh, areas. Before school, I was working in uh, uh, turbine OEM for more than 10 years regarding positions of turbine R&D project management. Great, thank you, the three of you. So let's jump in. Uh, JQ, can you first remind us what the benefits of offshore wind farms are today? Yeah, and uh, just follow yeah, our episode one, we, we give some introduction about the offshore wind farm. So I think the first of all, offshore wind farm as a renewable energy produces clean electricity to the homes and to the business from the wind. Compared with onshore side, offshore side usually have a more constant and strong wind. The source can produce more electricity and uh, almost uh, in the offshore, we don't have any boundary limits space, so you can build as many as wind farms you want. And also, due to the distance of shore, now offshore wind farms going further, further from the shore, that means less visual impact. You won't be able to see it from the from the beach, for instance, and the limited environmental impact, for instance, to the marine life, fish, dolphins. And Lionel, currently, what is the status of the global offshore wind market? And perhaps break it up per region? 
Oh, yes, I think uh, many things have uh, evolved over the past year. Uh, if you do a focus on uh, the past uh, year, let's say 2022, a total of 9.4 gigawatt of global offshore wind capacity was added during this year. It was uh, mainly driven by the strong growth in China, uh, which accounted for 6.8 gigawatt. Offshore wind installations are set to reach 18.4 gigawatt in 2023. So that's a big boom. And mainland China will account for over half of this total. And uh, we can say that six markets will have over one gigawatt in 2023, including Taiwan, which will install two gigawatt of new capacity. So now let's talk about the global offshore wind capacity in operation. I'm talking the installed capacity. Globally, installed offshore wind capacity reached almost 60 gigawatt by the end of 2022. So 44% of which is now installed in China. So we have 42 new offshore wind farms went into operation in China, Vietnam, Japan, France, UK, South Korea, Germany, Spain, and Italy. And worldwide, 257 offshore wind farms are currently in operation, of which 140 are located in Asia. 115 in Europe and only two in the US. Oh, that's really interesting. Who who had known that there were such differences between regions? JQ, if we look at SCORE in particular, could you please tell us about SCORE offshore wind portfolio and maybe also break it up by the US, Europe and, and Asia, your different markets? Sure. Yeah. So uh, at the SCORE, we started to write offshore wind in 2050. And we really uh, grow our book since 2019. And we started from the Europe, uh, then gradually build our global portfolio, which is included now is, uh, as Lena mentioned, mainland China, Taiwan, Japan, Vietnam, and the USA. So at the school, we write both construction risks and uh, the operational risk for offshore wind farm, which is included the fixed uh, wind farms and uh, the floating wind farms as well. At the school, we're working very closely with our clients and the other stakeholders to provide the financial protection to the offshore wind projects. Well, thank you. That's great um, to have like an overall view. Um, if we get a little bit more specific now, what are the biggest projects upcoming in your different markets? Um, what does the future look like in, in your markets? And maybe we can start with the EU. Yeah, sure. Since I'm a land office, I talk about the EU market. Thank you. At the EU, for the biggest projects coming to our book is really the Home State 3. That's one of the biggest projects in the UK with a total install capacity 2.85 gigawatts. So with this capacity, the project, once it completed, can produce enough electricity for 3 million UK homes. So that's massive. So for this project, the main construction work was started in 2024. Leonard, possibly you can talk about the US market? Offshore wind is a large and growing source of energy around the world and is poised for rapid growth in the US. There is a prospect of achieving net zero emission by 2050 and a target set by the Biden administration of 30 gigawatt by 2030 and 110 gigawatt by 2050. We currently have 42 megawatt of installed capacity. I'm talking about operating in wind farms and almost one gigawatt under construction. But there is a wave of projects just about to kick off in the coming months and it is only the beginning. There is one which is quite similar to the one 
mentioned by GQ on C3. We have in here in the US the Coastal Virginia Offshore Wind Farm, which is operated by Dominion Energy, a regulated electric utility. Installed capacity would be 2.6 gigawatt, and the capex is around 9.6 billion. So for APAC, actually, APAC countries uh, includes a lot of countries like uh, China, mainland Taiwan, Vietnam, but uh, obviously, as we all know, uh, the biggest one, the biggest market should be China mainland. As we see, especially for the southern China Sea, where we see by far the largest offshore wind farm, uh, which is Qingzhou 5, 6, and 7, with total capacity of 3 gigawatt in total. And uh, the developer is the China Three Gorge. So it's still under construction now. The overall market is the same, promising as we see as other regions, especially encouraged by governmental carbon neutral targets or policies. Uh, let's take China again, for example. By now, in China, there has uh, already been over 30 gigawatt offshore wind farms accumulated. And it is even expected the accumulated installation will increase 2.5 times in the next five years, according to GWEC or other similar sources. Oh, so I'm, I was wondering um, about the, the different risk exposures among the three regions. Maybe could you try and highlight for our audience the differences in your perspective. Yeah, thank you, Sylvia. That, yeah, that's a critical, important, obviously, as a, as an insurance company, when we write the risks, we really analysis the risk profile for each project. I think for compared with uh, other offshore engineering projects, for instance, upstream, offshore wind, I would think, is still very, very young industry. There are many new and innovative technologies. For instance, the increase the size of the turbine, the, the, the size of the foundation increased recently. Uh, we're talking about the extra, extra, extra large monopiles and all other new foundation solutions, for instance, floating wing. And uh, if you look at the transmission system, we see the switch from the AC high voltage to the DC high voltage. I think that all this, uh, risk profile is quite universal to all three regions. But if you zoom into the Europe market, let's look at what's a recent risk profile change. From the Europe, first of all, I think a European market has the most experience. If we if you look at it, we have a very experienced project developers, uh, contractors, fabrication yards. However, there are new risk profile coming to the market. For instance, uh, the, the the warm in the Europe and more widely geopolitical shifting. Due to that, we see the cost inflation for the offshore wind farm projects and also the supply chain issues. So which means it's very difficult and much more expensive to secure the supplies and the repair works take much longer time and also much more longer time to get the parts and the vessels we want. Leonard, possibly you can give the highlights on the on the U.S. market. Yes, sure, I can do that. I think to best understand the differences with the U.S., I will first talk about the similarities between U.S. and Europe. And uh, we're talking about the same technology as you mentioned, uh, GQ. And um, obviously, 
this is a, an evolving market with big, bigger turbine, bigger blades. Turbine manufacturer will be the same and cable manufacturer will also be the same. Uh, we know we're also talking about the same operators uh, with some new players. And uh, we're talking also about the same construction vessels, given the lack of U.S. Uh, flag vessels uh, in, in the sector. So now the differences. Uh, the main one, I think, would be, of course, the Jones Act. Everybody have heard about the Jones Act. So the Jones Act is, um, is a federal law dating back to 1920, and it requires goods shipped between U.S. ports to be transported on ships that must be built in the U.S., owned by U.S. entity and operated by U.S. citizens or permanent residents. So as a result of the Jones Act, we will have some shuttle service and the use of feeder barges going back and forth between the site and the staging yard. And so the dynamics, uh, the dynamics, sorry, will be different. And we also have some labor restrictions and uh, increased pressure to use the local contents. So clearly there will be, um, I think, a, a, a real lack of experience in this sector. And uh, you mentioned GQ, the bottleneck in the supply chain, it will be even worse in the, in the States because the vessels, the cable vessels, uh, the items will be coming from Europe for the time being, maybe not in the future, but for the time being, this is what we think we have to face. And um, US East Coast is also susceptible to tropical revolving storms. So there is an cat exposure on top of that. So we have to think about uh, additional contingencies plans. And uh, for the APAC situation, uh, overall, the offshore wind in APAC basically follow and resemble the development of Europe, as we know. Well, in the meantime, some local characteristics make APAC market quite unique, which is one of them should be extreme natural environments such as earthquake or typhoon in the area, which are broadly uh, acknowledged, but yet too well understood. Another issue would also be a supply chain issue, but from an uh, opposite position, especially if we are talking about China compared to Europe or compared to the U.S. market, where in China, due to the strong design manufacturing capability there, the competitions between turbine OEMs, between cables, between offshore substations is quite intense in terms of uh, both a bigger turbine, higher turbine tech development, such as we are seeing a six megawatt turbine, 80 megawatt turbine, or even larger turbines and uh, with competitive low cost which all brings huge concerns on reliabilities and turbine qualities and so how about NATCAT exposure uh, within your region yes and then if we are talking about NATCAT as Leonel just mentioned, this is not only thing in APAC and uh, part of the U.S. market. So basically, NATCAT, as we just mentioned, is often seen in APAC and some other regions where offshore wind are being planned and built. Among all different scenarios, I believe Typhoon should be the most probably industry's concern, which means Wind turbines are by far one of the most slender artificial structures on Earth. As we can see, uh, turbines being over 250 meters the highest, or with blade length over 120 meters. And more important, 
it's keeping fast growing. So as we know, turbine blades functions as carrier of wind energy conversion, and therefore withstand the wind load. While unlike skyscraper or long steel structures such as bridges or towers, blade is made of composite material such as glass fiber, carbon glass fiber, or even wood, which is quite flexible and easily bended or broken off during strong wind. And uh, of course, luckily Typhoon has been well studied in the industry. Engineers also have developed the impact and strengthened the turbine systematically, such as including design, manufacturing, installing, and operation afterwards. On top of that, the industry developed new certification code for such scenarios for turbines to follow on the extreme windy area, the so-called T-class, Typhoon class, to help industry, including insurance industry, to better understand turbines' on-site safety and suitability from perspective of design, manufacturing, and operating. Nowadays, T-class certificates are almost the entry requirement by default. So is it the final story? I don't think so. According to recent years' development and the lost records, the story is still going on. By far, the longest turbine operating history in windy area, such as APAC, is only less than 10 years. And you know, turbines' design lifetime is 20 to 25 years. So there is a huge gap. And on the other hand, turbines are self-innovating, getting bigger and higher, as we know, and therefore more flexible and slender and facing, therefore, strong wind in further and deeper sea. So well-built formal experience are to be updated and validated. This is why SCORE cares and has built close connection with wind industry for updates in this field. We are pretty much like to see how the emergency uh, plans are prepared and developed during NETCAT scenarios. And uh, we are also would like to see how the, such as the Typhoon modeling are well performed and updated. Right, that's fascinating. We we hear a lot about projects also on floating offshore wind farms. Um, what is their potential? Uh, there's many things to say about floating. Um, offshore wind farms first develop in shallow waters environment, but not all countries are blessed with shallow waters that allow bottom fixed foundations. And what I find uh, really appealing about floating offshore wind farming is that it enables us to capture the massive additional potential in wind. 80% of the world's offshore wind resource potential are in areas with a water depth of more than 60 meters. So it's in fact a technological advancement similar to what we have seen in oil and gas industry. We are familiar with monopile jackets for fixed foundations, and now we see tension lake platform technology, semi-self technology, spar technology. So the world's first floating wind farm was the High Wind Scotland Pilot Park with 30 megawatt install and it's been in operation since 2017. It's a pre-commercial project, but now we're moving to a phase where this project will get larger and larger. According to GWEC, a market intelligence forecast, the floating offshore wind market is set to reach 16.5 gigawatt by 2030. 
Well, thank you all three of you for enlightening us on progress in the offshore wind development and, and progress in each of your markets. Uh, there will be one more episode in the series that will cover the role of insurance in offshore wind development in the coming weeks. So please subscribe to the channel and stay tuned for more with JQ, Lionel and Xingyang. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to us today. You can subscribe to the SCORE Innovation Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or your favorite platform and be our first listener to new releases. Stay tuned and see you at the next episode.